Welcome to the Confluence Investment Management Bi-Weekly Geopolitical Report podcast for January 17th, 2022. In its 2022 geopolitical outlook published in December, Confluence Investment Management identified China as the number one geopolitical issue to impact financial markets and investment policy for the foreseeable future. During our limited time today, we'll discuss the challenges and the potential outcomes created by the present confrontational relationship between the U.S. and China. Our guest is Confluence market strategist Patrick Fearon Hernandez. Patrick, remind us, first of all, about your background and how it shapes your approach to this complicated issue. Well, hi, Phil. First, thank you for having me on the program. And to answer your question, what I bring to the table regarding the China problem is my early career work at the CIA analyzing Soviet and Russian defense economics around the end of the Cold War. It comes down to a specific set of skills in strategic intelligence, all aimed at assessing the strengths, weaknesses, strategies, and goals of a rival major power. Just as important, that experience gave me a good feel for how actual policymakers approach great power competition. I don't want to just analyze the problem like an armchair quarterback who's never actually played the game or, or managed a team. I want to analyze this particular football game like a guy who spent years on the coaching staff of a major team. Well, the title of your written geopolitical report is What Would a U.S.-China War Look Like? And the very title suggests that the possibility of such a war is real. I don't think many Americans really believe that a war could happen. What are we getting wrong? Well, if anyone thinks a U.S.-China war can't happen, the first thing they're probably missing is how strongly top leaders believe in their goals and how much they're committed to them. Especially in authoritarian China, a president like Xi Jinping doesn't reach the summit of power without extraordinary drive and supreme confidence, and those traits can push him to take extraordinary risks, just as President Biden is likely committed to defending U.S. interests. The potential class of those drives is the biggest risk. On top of that, the broader U.S. and Chinese governments also probably have elements that would benefit from their leaders' goals, so they'll push forward too. Finally, organizational factors like training regimes, standard operating procedures, logistical constraints, and the like could mean that a conflict set off by accident or miscalculation might be hard to stop. People often underestimate the chance of war until it happens, so it's important to be prepared. This ongoing face-off with China has resulted in trade barriers and saber-rattling with crackdowns on free speech in Hong Kong and the uncertain political status of Taiwan getting frequent headlines. What are China's goals and, and what has led to the country's present aggressive stance? President Xi and the Communist Party of China have one overarching goal, which they formulate as the great rejuvenation of the Chinese nation. By this, they mean restoring China to the global dominance that it enjoyed through most of its 5,000-year history. In other words, they want China to become the new global hegemon, the most powerful and richest country on earth, with the greatest science and the greatest culture. They want to move China away from the century of humiliation when the country was backward and weak and dominated by foreign powers. A key part of the rejuvenation 
elimination goal is to reclaim what Chinese leaders see as their lost territories, including Hong Kong and, just as important, Taiwan. Could you compare the military strength of the two countries and tell us where the U.S. might be vulnerable? In early 2021, I wrote a multi-part series of geopolitical reports diving into the U.S.-China balance of power, and I would direct our listeners to look up those on the Confluence website. In a nutshell, I would simply say that China is rapidly building its military capabilities with a focus on naval, air, and missile defense from its coastline out to the first island chain, running from Borneo through the Philippines and up through Japan. China has already had some success in developing this anti-access area denial strategy to the point where it may have enough of a preponderance in conventional weaponry in the waters around Taiwan that it could keep U.S. forces from intervening in the event that China tries to take over Taiwan. Of particular importance is that its air and missile ranges are longer than the range of many of the weapons that the U.S. and its allies could bring to a fight. Like a boxer with arms longer than his opponents, China may be able to land punches against the U.S. and its allies while facing little threat itself. Returning to your title, what would a U.S.-China war look like? When we think of war, we tend to think of massive armies in battle. What would a present-day war actually look like? Well, first, since the most likely flashpoint would be Chinese aggression against Taiwan, a U.S.-China conflict would probably be fought primarily by naval and air forces. Ground forces would likely play just a subsidiary role. Second, such a great power war would probably have many novel elements related to technology. For example, a full-scale war would likely involve space and cyberspace operations by each side. There would also likely be a novel array of allies fighting with the U.S., perhaps including India. It would likely involve many new weapon technologies, such as drone aircraft and ships, anti-satellite weapons, and artificial intelligence. Finally, it would likely involve new warfighting concepts, such as distributed firepower and archipelagic defense. The U.S. government is certainly not ignorant of Chinese aspirations. What are, what are we doing to counter the threat? People don't seem to realize that the U.S. is already taking big steps to transform the military from the counterinsurgency force of the last two decades to a force geared precisely toward the Chinese threat in the waters off China's coast. For instance, the commander of the Marine Corps is working feverishly to retrain his troops and give them new missiles and tactics to fight Chinese naval forces. His goal is for the Marines to mutate into ship killers in instead of territory seizures. Japan and Australia are among the countries recognizing and to some extent resisting Chinese aspirations. And some smaller countries are also expressing some resistance. You read about them in the news quite a bit. Lithuania is one of the latest countries to go against Chinese interests and, and a trade spat is the result. Do you see new alliances forming to thwart China? 
Because of the way U.S. citizens have tired of the country's traditional role as global hedgemen, it appears that new formal alliances and formal mutual defense treaties are out of the question. Going forward, at least the Biden administration seems to be focused on a number of informal, flexible groupings, such as the quad grouping of the U.S., Japan, Australia, and India. China's dealing with demographic challenges and with some pretty serious uh, economic ones as well. Is it in China's interests to wait before further ratcheting up tensions that might result in a war? Well, if it weren't for President Xi's impatience and aggressiveness, we would say yes. For at least the next few years, China is likely to continue growing its overall power versus the U.S., so it should want to avoid war at all costs until it has achieved unquestioned preponderance and can do what it wants. However, Xi may really believe his rhetoric about China rising while the West is falling. Maybe he feels like China is already strong enough. And as you suggest, when China's demographic and economic challenges look like they're starting to bite, she may be tempted to act on Taiwan or his other major geopolitical goals before it's too late. Patrick, you point out in your written report that present tensions notwithstanding, a U.S.-China conflict is not inevitable. What factors argue against war? Well, the biggest point is simply that going to war is such a political and economic risk for both the U.S. and for China. For example, even though Xi is an autocrat with seemingly total control over China, losing a war or throwing the country into a blockade or economic recession could be fatal to his power. And here's an especially interesting aspect of the risk to Xi. Because of the one-child policy China had in place until just a few years ago, the vast majority of Chinese soldiers, sailors, and airmen are probably their family's only child. In the event of war, millions of Chinese parents would face the risk that their only child could be killed. You can imagine that that alone would generate pushback against Xi's interest in uh, perhaps starting a war. Well, how do you estimate the possibility of war between the two countries? Can you put a percentage on it? I don't know of any way to put a number on the risk, so let me just put it this way. The risk of a conflict by 2030, even if it's accidental, is high enough that both governments are likely to continue preparing for it, and that means investors should also be thinking about it, preparing for it, and considering how to take advantage of the situation. Should we more fear war happening today, or is there a date in the future when the likelihood rises? I'm not expecting an imminent conflict, but as I mentioned before, there's always the risk of miscalculation or mistake when two powerful countries are saber-rattling at each other. But I think the risk of conflict gets higher as we approach the later years of this decade. Well, you mentioned that investors can perhaps take steps to take advantage of the situation. If the risk of war increases, how can we protect investment portfolios? In the near term, we think rising U.S.-China tensions could lead to more investment restrictions between the countries, such as the U.S. government's prohibition against investing in Chinese companies that support the People's Liberation Army. Investors need to pay attention so they aren't caught holding Chinese assets that they might have to sell suddenly. On a more positive note, however, the military transformation we're seeing in the U.S. might be investable.
Can you talk about that more a little bit? What investment opportunities are there that are coming into focus that are created by the present environment? Well, as the U.S. transitions from big, expensive weapon systems such as aircraft carriers and heavy bombers, major defense firms may take an economic hit. But greater purchases of lighter, cheaper weapons like drone submarines might help them make up for it. And the greater information technology component to weapon systems may mean greater business for a range of firms in software and artificial intelligence, autonomous vehicles, and other high-tech areas. We're still not seeing a dramatic upswing in U.S. or allied defense spending, but there are hints that such a rise may be coming, and it could well present opportunities for investors. Thank you, Patrick. To read Patrick's written report on this issue, go to confluenceinvestment.com and click on the geopolitical report tab at the top of the page. Our discussion today is based upon sources and data believed to be accurate and reliable. We wish to state that opinions and forward-looking statements expressed are subject to change without notice. This information does not constitute a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any security. Our engineer is Dane Stoll. I'm Phil Ebert.